the best the best place you can probably turn now in your Bibles in, is in Lamentations chapter three. We're, we'll land there a little bit uh, here, but this is again one of those sermons that I'm going to be jumping around to different texts and talking about different things. But then we're going to spend some time in Lamentations three, and I think it'll be a blessing. But we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And so there is an abundance of fruit when you are in relationship with God through the Spirit. And nine of those fruit, I'm always confused on whether to say fruit or fruits, but I'm just going to do the best I can with the English language. Uh, But there's nine of those fruit that are mentioned there in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. And we've studied several of them. We've studied love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And, or, I'm sorry, and today is faithfulness, and then we have gentleness and self-control. And so the point of this series is to build an awareness of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to build an awareness of what it means to be led by the Spirit, to build an awareness of what it means to walk in the Spirit as the Apostle Paul talks about there in Galatians, keeping in step with the Spirit. We want to build an awareness of how the Holy Spirit works in this world and in our lives and what the Holy Spirit does. And that's so important because I think oftentimes when we start talking about the Holy, the Holy Spirit, things can get very confusing. Things can get weird, <laughs> if we're being honest sometimes, amongst Christians in general. But I think it's often the case that when we think about the Holy Spirit, we're intimidated by that conversation. And we're intimidated at the thought of the Holy Spirit working in, in our lives because we tend to confine the works of the Holy Spirit to these big dramatic experiences. These big dramatic moments. Because when we look in the, in the in scriptures, we see that the Holy Spirit does, at times, do some very dramatic things in the lives of God's people. We think of the disciples when they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were able to heal the lame. They, they were able to do all of these miraculous things when they were filled with the Spirit. We think of moments like the day of Pentecost whenever they were suddenly able to speak in other known human languages that they had previously never had any understanding of. They were just instantaneously, because they were powered by the Holy Spirit, they were able to communicate the gospel in these other languages that people knew. And so people that didn't speak the the language that the, the disciples were speaking, they suddenly were hearing the gospel in their own native tongue, it says in Acts 2. And that's a miraculous moment. And so when we think of the Holy Spirit working in our lives after we read through much of these experiences in the New Testament, we begin to think like, like, wow, what's wrong with me that I'm not having any of these experiences? Why have I not been able to miraculously command uh, someone to get up and walk who was paralyzed? Why, why, am I not una- why am I not able to suddenly you know, speak Japanese or something like that in a moment where I could share the gospel with someone who doesn't speak my language and I don't speak their language? Why don't I have an experience like that? And then we're tempted to think that there's something wrong with us. We're tempted to think that uh, you know, we're doing something wrong or maybe God doesn't love us as much or maybe that's just something reserved for special Christians and, and I'm not in that category. So we, we can find the works of the Holy Spirit to these dramatic moments that we study about in Scripture. But when we do that, it's a disservice to what the Bible actually teaches. And, and Galatians is a perfect place to, to gather this better understanding of what it means to keep in step with the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. He's insinuating there is this day-by-day ongoing process of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Every single day, every moment, every hour, every second, the Holy Spirit is at work. 
in the lives of the children of God in such a way that he would manifest his character in us. So so we can't just limit the works of the Holy Spirit to these big dramatic moments. We need to start thinking the way the Bible wants us to think. We need to start thinking in these terms. The Holy Spirit wants to work in your life every single day. He wants to... He wants to manifest the character of God in, in your life, in your relationship with your, in your, with your spouse, with your kids, with your coworkers, your family. Everywhere you live, God wants to manifest his goodness in your life through you as a vessel to, to, to show the world his kingdom and what it's about. What a joy, what a blessing that is. So we need to understand that we, this, is, this is such a great opportunity for us to, to create an awareness of what that means exactly. Are you confident the Holy Spirit is working in your heart and lives right now? How confident are you? How confident are you? How expectant are you that the Holy Spirit, when you are in relationship with God, the Holy Spirit has been sent to you and dwells, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. How confident are you that this work is being done right now in your life? I think there's an array of attitudes, don't you? I think we have an array of attitudes when we think about the Holy Spirit and our, and our posture towards the thought of the Holy Spirit working or getting on board with what the Holy Spirit's doing in our life. Maybe, you, maybe you've, you travel in an airport. Do you people watch in an airport? That's like the best place to people watch. You know, we people watch in malls and things. It sounds creepy when you say people watch, but it's true. And, and when you're in line in an airport, you think, you think people getting on in line or they're seated there waiting for the... the uh, the, the airplanes to take off or to board the, air, the, the airplane, and just the different postures of the people in line. You think of like the, the businessman, right? He's got all that travel swagger. Aren't you like, don't you like, you, you see the travel swagger in some people, and they, they've, been, they've been there a thousand times before. At least they're making you believe that by the way that they shuffle around. You know, they're, they're, they're taking care of business on the phone like you're not even there. And, and they, they just got all this travel swagger. There's no concern about the airplane. There's no concern whatsoever about the engine. There's no concern that they are getting ready to board a giant hunk of metal that's going to go hundreds of miles per hour over ocean and land. There's no concern at whatsoever. They just take it for granted. Then, then you think of the, the, the vacationers. When you people watch the vacationers or the kids, especially the kids. Like when I've taken my kids on trips and they board an airplane, it's like the first ride before we get to Disney World, right? It, getting on the plane and traveling on the plane is just, they're just so excited. There's this nervous excitement. There's not, it's not like there's no concern. It's not like there, there's no doubt there, but just, they're just so excited about where this will take them that it creates this willpower to get on board with what's happening with this airplane. And they get on there and they enjoy the experience. They look out the window and they're just having a ball, right? And then there's the doubter. Any doubters out there when you're boarding an airplane, maybe? You don't want to admit it? I mean, it's waving your hand. <laughs> you should have seen the first time Amanda boarded an airplane. Uh, it was, I still have the marks on my arm. <laughs> it was our honeymoon. And it was the first time she had ever flown. I had only flown a few times before then. And, oh, man, like the doubter, they, like they're concerned about things like, did the pilot sleep good last night? You know, is the mechanic's certifications up to date? Does he understand how this plane functions? Does he know the new features and how to take care of them? Like, I remember sitting there before takeoff, or especially right as we were taking off with Amanda and her first flight, she's 
holding on to me. And I look over, tears running down her cheeks. She's so stressed out. Her, she's putting her hair over her face so she can't see and holding on. And, and I'm like, boy, we're just having a great time, babe. <laughs> oh, man. That's what you get for waving at me in the middle of my sermon, raising your hand. But she knows. She knows. But, you know, no matter, of all the array of attitudes of people who are boarding that plane, everybody still commits to the plane, don't they? They still get on board. There's the doubters. There's the kids. There's the businessmen. But they, they all commit to the plane. And so I think that really represents how a lot of Christians as a whole get on board with what the Holy Spirit is doing in their life. But two of those postures are wrong. One of them I think is right. You know, don't be like the businessman. Don't be like the Christian who's just overconfident and pays no attention to the work of the Holy Spirit that, that, that takes for granted the work that God is doing individually in your life. Don't be like that person that lacks appreciation. That's not walking in the Spirit. It's lacking an awareness of the dependency that we have upon the Holy Spirit to develop this character of God in our hearts. Don't be like the doubter Christian that thinks that the Holy Spirit is just reserved for special Christians, but not like them. That, that the Holy Spirit maybe is disappointed or doesn't think that, that you have the potential that it takes to, to really take the time to invest in you. You just doubt that this experience is for you. It's just for others. Don't be the doubt. Don't get on board with what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life in the, in the sense that the doubter does get on a plane. But have that childlike faith. The, the expectant, childlike faith. You know, it isn't that there's no doubt. It isn't that there's no concern. It's just that you trust God. You trust that he's taking you from A to B and he's doing something special there. And so you're choosing to walk in him and believe that he is doing this work. You're choosing to be led by him and to learn about these characteristics so that you can walk and keep in step with the spirit that he is taking you somewhere and doing something in your life. That should be our posture when we think through the the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And isn't, isn't the eagerness to, to display the character of God in your life enough for you to get on board? Isn't that alone? Is I want to display the character of God in this world, so I want to get on board with what the Holy Spirit is doing. And today, we're going to talk about faithfulness. This is the, this is the, 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 the subject matter. We're going to talk about how God is faithful. We're going to talk about how the faithfulness of God produces faithfulness in you. And we're going to talk about how when God produces this faithfulness in you by the Holy Spirit, we become a foretaste of what the kingdom is about and what it's like to live in the kingdom of God and his coming kingdom and what it will be like. So God is faithful. He is perfectly and entirely and completely faithful. Do you believe that God is faithful? That's a a great place to start. Do you believe that he is faithful? Do you, do you believe that he is trustworthy? That's what we're talking about when we think about the faithfulness of God. Is he trustworthy? Do we trust him? Do you trust God and believe he will do what he says he's going to do, that he is who he says he is? Do you, do you trust him? So I, I think that for the, for the vast majority of the people in this world, People believe there is a God. That's not the problem. The problem is trusting God. Believing in God is one thing. Trusting God is a whole other thing. So do you, do you trust God? Do you believe he is trustworthy? Well, none of you completely trusts God. Neither do I. That's the cold, hard facts. 
you don't completely trust him. Neither do I. The way that we know this, we sin. Have you committed a sin? Do you struggle with sin? Well, that's because you don't completely trust God. If you completely trusted God in everything that he said and the way he wants you to live, you would never sin. But I think that's the essence of why we sin, is we don't completely trust him. And so when, when, we, when, we, think about, when we think about sinning, we have these desires and these inclinations in our natural selves that we want something. And then when we learn God doesn't want us to live that way, we begin to question if God is out for our happiness or not. Is he out looking out for my best interest or not? Because this is looking very appealing to me. I feel like there's some pleasure and happiness here, but he doesn't want me to have that. So maybe I shouldn't trust him and just take that anyway, right? That's the essence of sin. God says, don't live this way. And so we, we examine this way and we think, well, it seems like if I lived that way, if I lived this way, it would make me happy. And so, so we begin to, to, to journey into this dilemma then. Anytime, whatever this way is for your life, don't live this way. Well, I don't know. I kind of want to live that way. And then you have to make a choice. Am I going to trust God and not live that way? Or am I going to trust myself and not trust God and live that way anyway? So it's, it's hard. It's real easy to say you trust God, but it's actually really hard, right? Because we're battling sin and we don't completely trust him in the way that we should. So the Holy Spirit's doing a work in our hearts. He's changing us to where we would trust him. There's, there's this work that's happening in our life to, to make us trust God more from one degree to the next. And so, you know, I, I think we distrust God for the way, in the same way our kids don't trust us all the time. So, like, if you're a parent, like, when you tell your kid no, they want something and you say no because it's not in their best interest, it's so hard for the kid to believe you, right? If you're a parent, you know that. Like, you can see it in their eyes. Like, that is not good. Playing with that chainsaw is not good for you. Like, you know that, but they don't know that. They don't trust you. They're like, no, I really think that chainsaw will be fun. I'm convinced it would be fun. And, but you don't let the three-year-old play with the chainsaw because it's not in their best interest, but it's so hard for, if you put yourself in their shoes, and we've all been there as kids before, right? We just don't want to trust our parents. I, I, think, of the, I think of a moment with Nolan where when he was like three or four years old, he like, you know those dumb, dumb, dumb claw machines that are at the checkout counter, like at Kmart or Walmart? Oh man, they're every parent's nightmare, aren't they? They're so flashy. They got all the lights. They got this big claw and all these big toys and the stuffed animals in there. And it's just like, well, I'll just put a dollar in there and get my kid a stuffed animal, right? Wrong. It never works. It never works. But anytime I would take three-year-old Nolan to the checkout through Kmart, that's not there anymore. We'd pass that claw machine. And he'd say, dad, 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 can I have a dollar? Can I have a dollar? I'm like, no, no, that's just going to break your heart, buddy. That's going to break your heart. It's going to let you down. And it's going to waste my money. It's a lose-lose-lose scenario. We're not going to waste our time with this. But every time we pass that claw machine, Nolan, was, if you know Nolan, when he sets his mind to something, like if he, if he can use his powers for good, he's going to be unstoppable. But he, when he sets his mind to something, he is, he is committed. He is committed. And he will not let it go. And, and so every time we pass that claw machine, it's like, Dad, can I have, can I have a dollar to do this? No. Can I, have a do- I mean, I would just like, Nolan, I would rather light this dollar on fire and watch it burn 
than put it in that machine right there. That would be more entertaining for both of us. But finally, just after like, oh, relentless, just asking and asking and asking, he, he finally wore me down. And in a moment of complete failure as a parent, I relented. I got the dollar bill out and I said, okay, buddy, let's do this. Here's a dollar. You know, he takes the dollar and he puts it in the machine. And at this point, I begin to get invested. I begin to root for him, right? Okay, buddy, okay, what are you going for? Play in the South. Don't just put it in there. You've got to play in this out. Which one are you going for? And then and he puts it in there. Okay, a little bit more, a little bit more. And I'm a little bit back. And right now, push the button now, you know. And, and of course, the claw goes down. It picks up the stuffed animal. It gets it all the way. And then it drops it at the very top and resets. And so I look at his face and his lip is, you know, pushed out. And he's sad. And so I'm sad for him. But at the same time, I feel so much satisfaction. He has learned his lesson. He didn't listen to his old man. And so now he feels like, crap. And I'm glad. And so I take his little three-year-old hand and we walk out and I'm like, it's all right, buddy. You know, that's what I was trying to save you the pain. Those things never work. It's a waste of money. It's just a way to take my money and give it to them. And he's, he's looking, he's got his frown on and he gets to the car and I put him in his car seat and we get ready to go. And he's like, dad. Oh yeah, buddy. Like, I can't wait to do that again. I mean, parenting teaches us so much about sin, right? It just teaches us so much about our relationship with God. And we've all been there as a child and seeing that manifest in our children. We're like, oh, okay, it teaches us so much. But we need to trust God. When he tells us something, trusting God means giving him the benefit of the doubt. That this is in our best interest to obey him. He is out for our best interest The quicker we understand that as a child of God, the more trouble we'll be safe from in our lives. He is trustworthy. It says in Psalm 119, verse 105, you know you're in a big chapter of the Bible when there's a verse 105. David says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. A lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's that's teaching us that God's word is in our best interest. He's lighting the way so that we won't stumble in the dark. So that we won't trip over an obstacle that we didn't anticipate. The lamp is there so that we we can stay on the path and and keep heading in the right direction. He wants what's good for us in our life. And so he, he tells us what he wants. And he tells us what's best for us. And we need to trust him. And the Holy Spirit's doing a work in our lives that we would trust him more and more day by day. Sometimes we learn those lessons the hard way. And then have to learn them over and over and over and over again. And other times we can just take God's word. And we can, we can reap the benefits of obeying in relationship with him. But he, he loves us and we need to trust him with everything. That's a, the message of the Bible is that he is trustworthy. And we need to trust him with every aspect of our life. And so if we begin to have a conversation about faith. And about these components of faith that come along with just believing there is a God. If we just begin to answer some of these questions apart from his word, we'll always trust ourselves. It'll always be about us. So if I say, you know, will you make it to eternity in heaven with God? Well, apart from his word, we think, uh, well, yeah, I'm going to do really good. I'm going to try to do the best I can. We, we begin to put faith and trust in ourselves apart from the word of God. That, that's, that's natural. 
we go into the Word of God and we, and we see the, the apostles teaching God's people in the New Testament, trust in God. When it comes to, to our salvation, our dependence is totally on Him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Paul is teaching there, Jesus Christ will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord. God is faithful, he says, by whom you were called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. When it comes to salvation, don't, don't trust yourself. Trust God. Don't depend on yourself. Depend on God. It's about his work. He is faithful. So if we start to answer questions like, well, how are we going to deal with all the temptation and and sin, that we're, we're just drawn to all this sin. How are you going to avoid all this sin? Well, apart from God's word, we'll say, I'm going to try real hard. I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to pull myself up on my bootstraps, and I'm going to work real hard, and I'm going to be good. But we, when we see the letters in the New Testament to God's people, it says, no. No temptation has overtaken you. This is Paul in 1 Corinthians, again, chapter 10 now. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You're not going through something no one else has gone through. He says, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So you're dealing with temptation. The Bible says, trust in God. Trust in God. He will give you a way of escape. Depend on him. You think, uh, so apart from the word, if I were to say, hey, what are you going to do about, like, when you stand before God, what are you going to do? When you stand before God, we believe, almost everyone who believes in God believes, even apart from the Bible, it's interesting that almost anybody who believes in God believe, believes God is judge. And we will, we will all be judged by God. So apart from God's word, when you ask someone that believes in God, how are you going to stand before him? What are you going to say? I'm going to look as good as I possibly can. The Bible says, no, don't, don't put faith in yourself. God is faithful. The, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, God, the God of peace himself, will sanctify you completely. He says, your whole spirit and body and soul will be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord. And he says, he is faithful. He will surely do it. See what Paul's doing there? When you think about standing before God one day, you better be depending, dependent upon him. Have faith in him. What are you going to do when you stand before God? Have faith in Him. Trust Him. He is trustworthy. That's the message of the Bible. But we're not going to have that belief apart from God's Word. So what, what, what am I going to do about the sin that's in my life right now? How do I cope with it? How do I deal with it? How do, how do I engage this sin in such a way that would bring God glory? How, what are we going to do? Well, he said, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a total dependence upon God in every aspect of our life. And probably no more should we, should we embrace this way of thinking than when affliction hits our life, right? Because being faithful sounds all well and good when things are great. Being faithful sounds wonderful. We can shout it from the rooftops. Be faithful. Things are great. When, when, you know, when, when, when the wind is blowing in the right direction... Everybody's ready to say they're faithful. But when, it, when the wind's blowing in the direction you don't want it to go, what about faith then? What are you going to do? do then? Are you going to pull yourself up by your bootstraps then? The Bible says, hey, and I read this passage last week, 1 Peter 4, 19. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing so. 
The Bible says, hey, even when you're going through the bad times, trust in God. It doesn't say, trust in God and there won't be any bad times. It doesn't say that. It says, when the, when the bad times come, trust in God. Trust in a faithful creator. It's interesting, the most famous verse, as I, as I look through a list of uh, verses that mention God's faithfulness, it's a, an overwhelming list. There's no way I could even hit uh, 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 you know, 10% of them in this sermon. But the most common verse comes out of Lamentations. That's why I had you turn there at the beginning of my sermon, Lamentations chapter 3. And isn't it interesting, the most famous verse with regard to God's faithfulness comes during a lament. Just as the, the name of the book implies, it's a lament. They're not having a good time. Not a good day. And when you read through Lamentations, there was, he's wailing. This is Jeremiah and he is just wailing. And so the most, the most famous portion of the verse, the, the verse that's plucked out and, and put on the posters and plucked out and, and applied to social media posts, that, that section says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. It's poetic. It's beautiful. It's inspiring. And we pluck that verse out and we put it on t-shirts and we put it on, you know, whatever. Because it's, it's wonderful to think about, right? Well, let me tell you, it's way more wonderful to think about when you see the context within which it lies. Way more. Just turn to Lamentations 3. We, we, we have the happy thought after reading verses 22, 23, and 24. That's the happy thought. How did we get to that happy thought? He's in the middle of affliction. Listen to verse 1 of Lamentations 3. I am a man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven me, he has driven and brought me into darkness without light. Surely against me he turns his hand again, 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 and again, the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me and a a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. It gets better. He has bent his bow and set as a target for his arrows. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughing stock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day and long. He has filled me with bitterness. He sated me with wormwood. That sated means like he filled me up full of wormwood, and wormwood would be thought of as like poison. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings. The wormwood and the gall, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. And then, after all of that, he says, but this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. This steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. 
it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And if we kept on going, it would, kept on, it would keep on expressing the hope. But I wanted to read the bad portion before we got to that good portion on purpose, right? I wanted us to see how a believer hopes in the faithfulness of God. I wanted us to see that that beautiful verse was in the middle of a horrible lament. The belief that God is sovereign over all things. The sovereignty of God is what was getting him through that dark time. It's not that he ignored the pain. He was expressing the pain. The pain's there. The pain's real. He's acknowledging the pain. The, the bad circumstances are real. He's acknowledging the bad circumstances. All the, he's not ignoring any of that and pretending everything is okay. He is not okay. And it's okay to not be okay and still hope in the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, that's, that should, what, what a relief that is. Because a, a lot of times in my, in my walk as a Christian, I felt like a big faker. I'm just pretending things are okay when they're not okay. But the, the scripture gives us a capacity to not be okay and still have hope in the Lord. And that is a relief to me because that enables me to be real. That enables me to be consistent. That enables me to feel genuine and authentic in my relationship with him. But Jeremiah, when he is completely and totally disoriented, when he's completely and utterly distracted by the chaos in his world and what he, in the times he was living in, he doesn't understand why this is happening, but he knows God is sovereign. God is in control. If it's happening, God's either doing it or he's allowing it. He ordains all things in that sense. And so he falls back on what he knows. When he's, when he's up against the circumstance he doesn't understand, he falls back on what he knows. What are my core beliefs? Well, God's faithfulness is at the core of everything that I believe. It's at the core of our relationship with God. He is faithful. He is completely and entirely and perfectly faithful in all circumstances. He's completely consistent. He's the same. He's unchanging. He's trustworthy. He never panics. He never has a knee-jerk reaction. That's us projecting ourselves on him. That's us. We have knee-jerk reactions. We panic. He doesn't. Nothing can overcome him. All sorts of things overcome us. But we put our faith and trust in him. And when we do that, his faithfulness begins to manifest in our hearts, in our minds, that we, we, we begin to display this, care, this character of his. We begin to feel that security in times in which security doesn't make any sense and doesn't seem to be present. We begin to develop an assurance. We, do, we, do, we develop a peace that surpasses our understandings. Right? And we, ha- we have a capacity for strength in those times that he will sustain us. He revives us by this work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and minds. And so it's belief in this faithfulness of God that makes us more faithfulness. So the faithfulness of God produces a faithfulness in us. It's belief in that faithfulness. So what a blessing. What a blessing it is to know that he's making us faithful. Can you name all the faithful people in your life? I, I, you know, when, when push comes to shove, I think many of us could count on one hand the faithful people in our life. Like when, like when we really get backed in a corner and we really don't know what to do, who, who's reliable? Who's dependable? Who's, who's trustworthy? Who, who can I count on to be honest with me right now, even if it's costly? That list tends to get shorter and shorter the more we're painted into a corner. So what a, what a blessing it is to have people like that in our life that are dependable and faithful and trustworthy. God is developing his character in us so that we can be that for other people. 
so we can have people like that in our life and so we can be that person. And so when you have a community of people that are finding their identity in God's faithfulness, they should develop a, a community of people who are on that list together. Right? God sends us the Holy Spirit, convicts us of the ways that we aren't living faithful lives and inclines our hearts to live faithfully and then we bear the fruit of his faithfulness and then his character is seen in the world. What a joy that is. But you know, I think, I think it's often the case though that in the same, I think people are hesitant to trust the church in the same way that we are hesitant to trust God. You know, I think a lot of times we just, we don't think God is in our best interest or his ways will make us live the happiest life possible and, and will make life as good as what we want it to be. We don't trust him in that. Well, in the same sense, I think people don't trust the church because we don't think that's the best thing for us because it's messy and it's cluttered and people are dealing with a lot of different things. And so we think, well, if I step into that and engage other people who are a mess like me, I don't know if that's the best thing. I don't know if that's going to make me happy. We think there's a better way than getting involved in his church, which is a gift. We think there's a better way. And so we, we, so we, don't, get it, we don't engage the church in the way that we should. But he wants us to be a part of this community so that we can reap the benefits. We can maximize the benefits of his character of faithfulness. Because it's a group of people that God is, is, is working in to manifest his character. And that includes faithfulness. So that we can be surrounded with a group of people that, you know, when you're painted in that corner, you don't have to run away from this group. You know, when, 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 life, when, when you're not fun to be around, this group isn't going anywhere. When, when, when you're all tangled up in a mess in your marriage, they're not going to look down upon you. They're ready to invest in you. When you've messed up so big that it's, it's an embarrassment to everyone in your life, the, the people of the church are trustworthy with that. They are to be people that you can depend on to not give up on, not give up on you. And to just sit in the embarrassment with you for a little bit. You know, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll sit in there together. Your life's a mess. Let's, let's sit in the mess and let's cope with it. We can be trustworthy and dependable people like this for each other. And I think, that's, I think that's God's plan. That we can be a foretaste of this coming kingdom in which there will be complete dependability. There will be complete and perfect loyalty amongst everyone in the kingdom of God. And we get to be a foretaste of that right now. Be a part of a group of people who, who refuses to panic, that refuses to give up on one another and will tolerate people's sin in a way that helps them. And so we've got to realize when we think about the faithfulness of God and, and how his faithfulness is, is manifest in his church, that this is a place where we can come and have that sort of person in our life. But this is also a place that we can come and be a part of, that we can be that person for someone else. It's, a, it's both and, right? I, I'm a part of a community of believers that won't give up on me. And I'm a part of a community of believers that I won't give up on. We're willing to be that type of person by the grace of God. It's his, his character working its way through our hearts and mind by the Spirit. That's the work of the Holy Spirit day to day in your life. That's the ongoing, that's what it means to be led by the Spirit, is actively engaging one another like this. This is what it means to keep in step with the Spirit. I'm going to be faithful to God, and I'm going to be faithful to these people. 
And the foundation upon which that sits is God's perfect faithfulness. Because I won't be perfectly faithful to God all the time. I'm imperfect. I won't be perfectly faithful to other people. But by His grace, we can get a taste of that. Because the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts each and every day. And we should just be as wowed by that as we are when we see the dramatic experiences that people have with the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, right? We should be just as wowed. We should have that childlike faith, that childlike attitude of expectancy that God is taking us from A to B. I can't wait to get on board. I don't know how this is going to all work out. There's some concern. There's some doubt. But I believe in him because he's perfectly faithful, and I can't wait to get to where he's taking me. That's the posture of someone who desires to keep in step with the Spirit. So by His grace, we'll be faithful. Let's pray. Lord, again, we're so grateful to take a season of teaching and dedicate it to the work of Your Spirit in this world. It's often the case that conversations around Your Spirit uh, are confusing. There's an array of attitudes. There's an array of beliefs. There's an array of experiences. There's an array of claims. The conversation can become so intimidating when we consider the different beliefs from denomination to denomination, from Christian to Christian. And Lord, there's so much mystery here. Lord, so we're thankful that you've given us your word to clear up the mystery. We're thankful that we have your word to look into and to contemplate and to direct us that we wouldn't trip over a misunderstanding of your, of your spirit and how you work, that we wouldn't take it for granted or, or lack the awareness of our dependency upon you for each and every day and to be grateful for it. Lord, we want to be so, so grateful. We want to live with a heart of gratitude and expectancy when it comes to your work in our hearts. And Lord, we thank you for the book of Galatians to direct these thoughts that you would edify us. And Lord, help us to apply your faithfulness by your grace, uh, to those around us in this world. And, And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray.